I was sitting in the back of an auditorium with like maybe 500 young people and I'm watching them like cry and like fall out and they're like weeping and the, the worship is just so beautiful. I was like, wow, Lord, like something is happening to them and I have no idea what it is. I'm like, fine, you've brought me to this point. I have nothing left. So like, if you can do anything, like do it now. And I remember like saying like, I surrender. That's it, I give up. I don't know where to get these resources. I don't know how to be a better man. I don't know how to, to pursue you. I don't have a prayer life. I don't do any, I don't know anything. I just know pain. I just know hopelessness. I just know that I'm not good enough. And so I actually heard like chains fall onto the ground and I began to weep and I fell on my knees and I remember feeling like a blanket thrown over me, like a weighted blanket. I just remember feeling so much peace, but it was like a, it was like a taste. And I was like, wow, like I need to chase this. I grew up in the church and uh, mother, praying woman, strong woman in the Lord, her mom before her again. Um, so both sides of the family were very involved in church. So yeah, grew up in church my whole life, uh, mainly in music and worship. And so for me, what, where I believe the Lord started my life at the age of three, I actually have a core memory of me seeing myself play drums for the first time. And so I was three years old when it was in the backyard. Uh, I just remember there being like a lot of dust. I live basically in the desert. <laughs> and um, just remember getting my mom's pots and pans, breaking some sticks from the branches and just playing. And in my head as a child, I just remember saying at some point I'm going to be in a band or a group or involved in some type of music. And so that I believe the Lord planted a seed early um, just for the passion for that. So growing up, my father saw that immediately. He is uh, a very active musician. He plays everything, jack of all trades. He can, he could literally touch any instrument. It'll sound amazing. So as soon as he saw that I could play an instrument, he immediately bought me a drum set. So we started playing together. He's a trumpet player. So we would play anything from Christian music to jazz to funk. Like he just had me learning at an early age. And so th that time frame, I believe three to five was just me being around him. Uh, he was like my hero. And so everything I did, I was attached to his hip. Every time he played, I was right there next to him and he just taught me everything with music. And so by five, I was on the worship team. I was actually just sitting in the front row with my mini drum set, not sounding good whatsoever, but my dad was like really proud and it was my grandmother's church. So she was extra proud. The congregation probably wasn't that happy, but uh, I just remember they have pictures of me just sitting in the front and just enjoying it. And so my father pushed me into that pretty heavily um, and yeah, so that was my childhood. I just remember being in the church, playing drums every chance I got and just having a passion for it. And my father just being like, yeah, like this is, this is my boy. I can't wait for him to like excel in this. Time moves forward, still involved in church pretty heavy. Um, I grew up with a lot of security actually. My father had a great job. My mother had another great job actually. Considering the town is uh, small, they both had pretty, pretty good jobs. So there's a lot of security. Um, I don't remember living in lack at all, really, as a child. So I remember believing and thinking like, wow, like my family has it together, like everything is perfect. You know, I'm the only boy, so I have two older sisters. So just remember just kind of being like that little kid who just was by himself, like only kid, just him and pops. And so, yeah, I would just run around with dad and, and work with him and play music with him. And so. That was my childhood, like in a nutshell. Things really took a turn for me and my family around the age of 12 or 13. 
So around that time, uh, my parents um, filed for divorce. So my father actually um, was in infidelity. And so for me, I just remember being devastated. I remember as the only boy, like, okay, what's gonna happen now? So I remember the last time I saw him around that time frame, he was like, hey, like, um, I'm just going to grab a couple of my things and I'll be back later for dinner. I was like, okay, cool. So I actually, like, my, my, one of my friends at the time was there with us and we actually helped him, like, put stuff on the trailer. And I remember he, like, bought food for us. He bought, like, pizza and stuff. And in my head, I'm like, okay, he's just gonna move some stuff, right? Like, his first business, like, he's doing his thing. And um, that day, he actually didn't come back. And, you know, one day led to another, and I was like, wow, like, he's, he's gone. Like, and my mother was, knew what was happening, was like, hey, like, he's not returning. And so I remember in my head, like, not being able to perceive what was happening. And so my mother being, like, very strong-willed, she got a second job and immediately started trying to keep the, the ship afloat, so to speak. And so she was working a lot, I rarely saw her. Um, at the time I was 13, 14. So again, identity, I was like in that mixture of like, okay, I'm learning to become a man, but then that role model like left. <laughs> and so I remember just wanting that validation, wanting that, that security again. And so as time moved forward, I just remember just slowly becoming very angry and bitter, um, seeing my mom work so much. And now um, it was a very strict Hispanic household. So, you know, like the, the weight that they put on the shoulders of a man, okay, it went from now you're developing to you are the man of the house now. We expect this from you, we want you to be that. And so I began to put on many hats um, that I was not prepared for. So I began to stress over bills, um, began to uh, actually work with my dad, like these side jobs would be plumbing, electrician work, air conditioning and heating to bring money in for the family. So that caused more tension where I was like, well, I need to help provide for my family but then the only way I can get it was with my father. So that time my relationship with my parents kind of turned into like a business partnership of like, I'm working with my dad now to make ends meet with my parents or my mom, I'm sorry. And now I'm with my mom, but now I'm also working with my dad. So there was that moment in my life where I had to choose almost like I'm providing here, but I'm over here. And it was, I just remember as a child feeling so torn and life was just moving so fast. So as that time progressed, we began to lose things. We had a beautiful home. Um, I remember seeing a beautiful truck that we owned at the time get repossessed. I remember going with my mom to these used car dealerships. And mind you, this is a tiny town, so the options were not great. <laughs> so I remember we had this like tiny like hoopty that had no AC and in the summers of Texas, it was just brutal. There's no tent in the windows. I just remember like having to sit through it going to school, like the seatbelt would burn us. Like, like it was just, it was these memories that I, I couldn't forget. You know, watching my mom struggle for years kind of put an emphasis to try to like be this perfect man, to try to make up for something and to try to be everything for these women in my life. And with that, it kind of led to me to like strive to be this person, but I lacked the knowledge on how to get it or how to get there. And so that caused even more bitterness in the sense of like, I know what I should become, but I don't know how to get there. I don't know the resources. I don't have the example. Like, I don't know what's happening. So uh, around that time, we had actually moved to a new church and it was actually a very spiritually active church when I went there. A lot of prophetic movements. This is the first time that I was around a large body of prophets, a large body of spiritual movements. So I remember going in there and people were 
um, demons were being cast out, right? Prophecies were being going out, right? Like it was just a beautiful thing. I remember as a child, I'm like, this is not, like, this is crazy. And I remember the first time, like, falling out, it was just like, wow, this man just really just did this and I just fell out. And I remember as a child being like, wow, like, this is amazing and I don't want to leave it. In church, when I was there, I was just really drawn to the worship team. But I also sensed that, like, there was more to just, just church. I knew that there was a different side to what we were experiencing that I wanted to get to, which almost intensified the need to strive, right? It was like, well, I can't make ends meet to be a provider for my family, and I want to tap into these deeper things with God, but like, how do I get there? And so the frustration began to grow and began to grow. So around that time, I actually joined the worship team for the youth group at least. And I remember my goal was just to always be up there. I just wanted to worship around all these people. For the time we had about five to 600 members, which was crazy for that, for how big that town is. And so it was very active. And I remember um, our pastor at the time retired. And from there, the predecessors really didn't steward well, you know, the church. And so there was a huge split. So a lot of the worship team left, the pastor left, a lot of my friends left. And I remember on top of the divorce, I was like, wow, like now the church I'm going to now, like, where am I going to, like, what's happening? And so I remember going to my mother and saying, hey, like, are we going to leave too? Like, are we going to leave this church too? And I remember she actually said something to me there that I still consider to, to this day, where she said, well, we're not going to leave until the Lord calls us out. Whether there be one person or a thousand people, like, you, we're going to learn how to stay here until God calls us out. I remember that lesson so clearly because it translated to where I'm at today. As the divorce began to settle, um, I actually grew to find other side jobs that I was doing. So I became more distant and angry towards my father. And once um, I had a conversation with him, he actually told me that, that he had cheated on my mother. And I didn't know at the time why they split up. I just thought he just didn't return. And so, you know, as that time progressed, I remember just asking him and, and just being so devastated. I mean, like, how could you ever do that to her? Like, how could you ever do that to us? Like, we, I thought we were friends. Like, you were supposed to be this example for me. And his answer was kind of cold, right? He was kind of justifying what he did. And I remember looking at him and vowing to myself, like, I will never be like this man ever again. And so that began uh, a heart-wrenching journey where I actually, like, ignored him for about five years. Um, we lived in a small town again, but I did everything to avoid him. He would call me, I would ignore his calls. He would text me, I would ignore his text. I would block his number. Like, I did not want to do anything with him. Um, I didn't want to look at him. I didn't want to hear his voice. And in my culture, there's something with the last name where it's like, well, you're known by the last name and your father and their traits. And I remember like everyone pointing out my last name. We were like, oh, like your dad is so great. You know, I'd go to the supermarket. Oh, he's an amazing man. And he works so hard and he's playing here. I remember just thinking like, y'all don't know. I remember I didn't talk to him for about five years and around that time I'm still in church, I'm still learning and I'm developing as a musician and still dealing with the split of the church. And so mind you, we went from 500 to about 25 members and it went from like, okay, we're playing from a lot of people to like nobody. And so that was a journey where I was like, okay, I'm just gonna learn how to worship. And so our worship leader would just spend a lot of time like teaching us the ins and outs of music and worship. And I had a mentor who was a bassist who taught me everything I know now. And I remember as a, as a kid, all I had was a bike and I would like drive or bi bicycle about three miles to church just to get there early and I would leave late. Just, I was the first one there. I wanted to be there. I wanted to like, play the drums and test out the new music. And I remember the hunger as a kid, like that was my safe place. I'm like, well, if it's not working at home, we're like 
broke, <laughs> if it's not working with my parents, uh, if it's not working anywhere else, then drums is, is how I'm gonna feel connected. And so I would just do anything just to be at church, just to play. And again, there wasn't a lot of us at the church, but I would like pour it out every time. I would imagine myself playing in front of thousands of people. I would imagine myself like just really getting into a different type of music, but it was actually worship that I was really wanting to get into. So in high school, um, I got into a relationship with a girl and we dated for about three or four years. Um, and during that time, I remember like wanting to show her that I could be this person, um, wanting to prove to her that I could be the man that I wasn't in the past, right? To my father or to my mother, to even the girls in my family. Like I was wanting to make it a point that I could be this person and still fighting the, I know that God has a plan over my life. And so it, at the end of it, actually didn't work out. And from there, it kind of led me asking a lot of questions of like, okay, when is it ever gonna come together? And so that led me into graduation. You know, you graduate high school, still wondering, still curious, still like wondering if God even has a plan, right? Wondering like, what is he going to do with all this mess, right? Like from the divorce and losing what I consider my hero to high school, just asking years of questions of like, okay, like I know that you have a plan for me, this is where I'm headed and there's no way that these two roads are gonna meet at all. I don't see it happening. So I graduate high school, still very, begin to be very depressed actually that these things aren't connecting. Um, my heart was wanting the Lord, but literally my life was saying everything else. I actually did a year at community college where my mother, because my father was a musician and what led to infidelity was the music side of it. He wasn't really doing it for the Lord. So she had high guards up when it came to any type of music. So she was actually encouraging me to do the opposite. She was like, well, how about you, you know, go to college for like criminal justice? And I was like, me, a cop, like there's no way. There's just absolutely no way. And so she's like, try it, like we'll help pay for it. Like we'll, we'll literally do everything just so you don't have to go down that road to be a musician. And I remember just thinking like, wow, she's really hurt. Like there's no way that I could go through that route and put her through that. And there was actually one time where we were playing a service and the, the prophetic hit. And it was one of my first times like actually playing prophetically through an instrument, which was crazy. But a musician who was traveling, playing with a, a bigger band came to me and told her, it was like, hey, he needs to go to some type of ministry school. You should actually invest into him to look into music. And she was like, mm -mm, I don't think that's, he wants to be in criminal justice. And I remember as a kid, I'm gonna honor my parents, right? I'm gonna be like, all right, mom, like, you're right. And so I remember just feeling so devastated inside, like even more heartbroken of like, while I'm doing all of this, like I'm trying to be this person. And then you're like, that's really my passion. Like I've been doing this since I was three, like this is not normal, but still feeling that like, there's no way this is gonna come together. So, you know, around that time, I was just asking a lot of questions Did a year of community college. It was the worst year ever. I just remember sitting in classes, I was failing everything because just nothing made sense. Nothing was clicking and everybody was doing very well in the class. And I just continually was just doing terrible. And again, that just fed into the depression of you're not enough. You can't get there. Like God doesn't have a plan for you. And living in that tiny town was just like, what else can come from here, right? Like there's, there's no way that the seed that God planted could ever come up. And I just remember feeling hopeless for years. Around that time, we actually got a new pastor at my church. Uh, I was around 19 and they're actually from New York and New Jersey. So they came and they completely changed the script of my church. Different feel, different worship just a different type of passion that I've never seen before. They literally brought the East Coast to West Central Texas and we didn't know what to do. I just remember being 
like lit ablaze by their passion. I just remember seeing my youth pastor and my, my pastor at the time, uh, Pastor Cortijo, where he would just preach and preach on the deep things of God. And, and I would take note, I began to take notes and I began to be so drawn to those things and the art of flowing, like the, the worship pastor was my pastor's wife. And so she would just sing all these melodies and all these riffs and just tag these different songs. I remember just being so blown away with it. Like, I didn't know that this was a part of worship. I thought it was start and you do something crazy and you call it a day, but they were flowing. And I remember seeing that and they were actually very big into a conference called Battle Cry that was here in New York. And so they were having one in Dallas. I remember them saying, hey, we should actually go visit. We're gonna go to this conference, it's gonna be good for you. And I'm like, first off, I'm 19. It's a bunch of 15 year olds, like, I don't wanna go. And they're like, we'll pay for everything. I'm like, fine, I can't say no to that. It's Dallas, it's four hours away. Like, okay, it's better than going to Walmart, right? And so I remember going to this conference, which was actually the same weekend that I had for a drum competition. I went to Assemblies of God Church. And so every year we would have a competition for your instrument. And I was doing pretty well at the time. And I remember that, that weekend thinking like, wow, out of all weekends, like I have to choose either glorify myself or test out this new school that I know nothing about. And I had scholarship money pent up from it, meaning like I could have applied that to any college and, uh, or Christian college, I'm sorry. And so I remember I actually had a dream before that weekend of seeing this old like oaky looking tree. It was like a thick tree next to like this broken down gas station. And I remember it was right off the exit of like this Texas like interstate and it was very green. And I'm like, okay, that's not where I'm from. That's definitely not it. I'm seeing the dream and then feeling that I should go to this conference. Sorry, this weekend. So I go to this weekend with one of my now best friend and my pastors and we get off the last exit to go to this school to visit for the weekend. And I see like this thicker tree that's like older beat up next to a broken down gas station. And that was one of the first like prophetic dreams I had. And I saw that and I said, wow, this is where I need to be. So I go to this school and there's kids from all over the country, my age, seeking the same thing. Okay, wow, like this is a bubble. So I go, literally fill out the application, did not tell my mother at the time. So I'm still working at home and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this. I like, this is my sign that I need to do something for God. So I remember signing up for it and they're like, oh, it's, it's gonna be a couple grand just to get into it. And then it's gonna be this much for dorms. It's gonna be this much, but it's a year experience just for you and the Lord. And I remember thinking like having enough faith, would just be like, you know, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna submit my application. I just know like this is my way to get into the things of God. It's my way to like escape this like dreaded life that I've been living for years of like hopelessness and pain and stress to like something new. So I go to this school with the intention to be a drummer. And the first uh, service there, we go there, we have a couple fundraisers to basically get me there. And I literally only had enough for like the first semester. And so I'm like, okay, if I can go just go for five months, the Lord will open up something. Like that was my mentality. It was so interesting. And um, I go and just make enough for that first semester. And the first service that we have was actually the first encounter I had with Holy Spirit. I was 19 years old and I remember like it was yesterday. I was sitting in the back of an auditorium with like maybe 500 young people and I'm watching them like cry and like fall out and they're like weeping and the, the worship is just so beautiful. And I was in the back and I was, I was like, wow, Lord, like 
something is happening to them and I have no idea what it is. I'm like, fine, I've, you've brought me to this point. I have nothing left. So like, if you can do anything, like do it now. And I remember like saying like, I surrender. That's it. I give up. I don't know where to get these resources. I don't know how to be a better man. I don't know how to, to pursue you. I don't have a prayer life. I don't do any, I don't know anything. I just know pain. I just know hopelessness. I just know that I'm not good enough. And so I actually heard like chains fall onto the ground and I began to weep and I fell on my knees and I remember feeling like a blanket thrown over me, like a weighted blanket. And I was weeping in the presence of the Lord so heavy. Like I was there for at least like 45 minutes to an hour. Like they had like finished the service and I was still curled up in a ball in the corner of this auditorium. And I just remember feeling so much peace, but it was like a, it was like a taste. And I was like, wow, like, I need to chase this. It was like addicted to, I was drawn to it. I was like, wow, like this was an experience that I've never felt before. For the first time in years of my life where I felt like whole. <laughs> I felt like the peace of God. Like, I'm like, well, this is amazing. I'm gonna do anything to get there, right? And so I remember for the next two or three months, I fell in love with the Bible. I fell in love with the Bible every day. Like I would go to lunch. I would eat very quickly and I would run to my dorm room, read my Bible for the rest of my lunch break. After um, we were done with like our work hours and our classes, I would go to the dorm room. I would just read and read and listen to sermons and listen to preachings and like the Jewish roots and meanings and definitions. I just fell in love with the text. And the thing that was lacking, like I really didn't understand the spiritual aspect of it, but I just knew that I loved the word. I was reading like the proverb a day, I was reading Psalms, like I was finding these scriptures that related to me, right? Like, why are you so downcast my soul? I was like, wow, this is in the Bible. I'm feeling that. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm not enough. I'm feeling like I have to provide and be this person and, and the pressures of life are like too much, but like this is in the Bible. This is like, has been out for thousands of years, but like, Oh my goodness, this, is, this, takes a, this takes actually a grown man, a mature man to be able to air out his laundry like this. I don't have that. So I began to read more and I fell in love with the gospels of just finding out who Jesus was and his patterns and how he treat people, how he talk to people. And, and I had just so much pent up aggression, so much bitterness and anger and depression where I was like, this is not me at all. Like this guy literally would get like slapped and forgive them. He almost got pushed off a cliff and he's like, I'm just gonna walk through. Like, I could not imagine what type of man would have this much patience. I'm like, this is not me at all. I'm the actual complete opposite. Like, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm hurt, I'm stressed. Like, there's no way that I can attain this. And so I began to read um, and just fell in love with the Word of God. And so music actually like began to leave my mind. I went for music and there was a couple opportunities for me to play and yes, I played uh, in a band or two with some friends, but like that wasn't my focal point. I just remember thinking like, you know, forget the drums right now. Like I'm finding Jesus. I'm finding life in these scriptures. And I just remember just having conversations till like two or three in the morning with other dorm mates about the scripture, about the text. And we're just like going off with each other. It was amazing. And so, you know, I completed the first year. People began to like invest almost into my spiritual life, which is crazy. I had uh, a couple of people who were saying, you know what, we're gonna start to uh, bless you monthly right? We're going to fund her. We're going to do this. And the Lord began to like fund this thing. So I remember it's a two-year program. The second, the, su the summer, I kind of come back out of that and hit reality. So I go home and my mom is immediately like, hey, like we're struggling financially. Like we need you here. You're the man of the house. 
And I remember thinking like, wow, I just was in this Christian bubble, this spiritual tank, so to speak, for a year, and now I'm stuck with the real life in the middle of nowhere. I'm not around any friends right now. And I remember just feeling like, wow, like, God, like, this was messed up. Like, <laughs> how could you experience something so great? And then be back to pain and stress. Like, it's like leaving a church service and it's like going home to reality of like, man, I'm sick. Like, my mind isn't right. Like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like, God, is there any way that you can make something happen out of nothing? And so towards the end of the summer, I just remember thinking, like, feeling the pressure of like, okay, I'm not going to go. And feeling the pressure of like, I don't think I have enough for that. And so the director actually called me and was like, hey, for how well you did the first semester, we actually want to like, we want to help give you a scholarship. And so we want you to come back, but we want you to do the leader track. And I was like, okay, cool. So I actually go back again, did not tell my mother. She was very upset. So <laughs> I remember like during that time getting with my best friend and I was like, dude, listen, we got to pack the car and we're going to fill out our stuff and we're leaving. I'm just, I have to go. I can't stay here. And, you know, I look back at it and it was just such a, such an immature thing to do, but I know like my end goal was to be with the Lord. And I was like, no, I have to finish this commitment. I remember leaving and that began even more turmoil with the relationship with my mother. Like that also fed into the, the men in my life leave. You're not, you're just like them. And, and verbally, like I would hear this from her and um, other family members. And I was like, wow, like I'm experiencing God in this way around all these people, but like they don't see the fruit of it. And I'm like, it's sickening almost like, the people I want to support me the most are like actually like chastising, making fun of me. They're like, why are you doing that? Like, you're not changing. You're, you're actually worse of a man because you left us. And I remember like having that heart tear of like, oh my goodness, is this even worth it? Like, I just remember that of like, my end goal was to be this person for them, right? And so, you know, I was having these crazy encounters. I was a leader of eight first year interns and, and no lie, like we did very well. Like everything was cohesive. We were a very successful group. We were known around the campus to not only serve the teachers, the camp, we would pick up trash on the weekends, like we would pray, we'd go to the prayer room. Like we did so many things to serve um, the community where like we began to like get awards, like we began to get recognized. And me as their leader, like they're like, wow, like this guy has something. And so the opportunities began to roll in, right? Hey, we would actually love for you to come be a youth pastor in Houston. We're gonna pay for everything. We're gonna give you a house, we're gonna give you a car. We're going to give you like a stipend like you're taking care of, right? After graduation, call us, you're good to go. Another one, hey, um, this, this youth camp in Iowa, we're going to pay for you to come here. We're going to pay for you to go to California. Like all of these doors began to open up. And I was like, wow, Lord, like it's finally going to happen. This is it. This is my time to go through. And so still with that side of the family, like still fighting and going through all that stuff, I was still wanting to like, okay, no, Lord, like I know that you have a purpose for this. And so... You know, we graduate the internship and, and I'm like at the top of the hill. Like, I feel amazing. I'm great. I'm ministering here. I'm traveling here. Um, at the time, like we're traveling back and forth from New York. Um, so we're going to preach. We're going to minister. And I'm like, wow, like, God, you're doing so much right now. Like, I, it's only going to get better. So at the end of the internship, the internship actually like shuts down um just due to some financial issues and some other things that was happening it was really intense but i just remember thinking like okay like i can't stay here so i actually stayed in dallas for a little bit and i remember my godmother at the time had a ministry it was a small ministry and i went to go help them and about a month in she was like hey like i feel like you should go home and i was like i will never go home there's nothing there like nothing she's like i think you should go home so 
sure enough, after like really being as stubborn as I could, I was like, fine, you're right. So I called my best friend. I'm like, hey, dude, like, I don't know what to do. So he's like, that's fine. So he drove four hours to come pick me up in Dallas to then drive me back with all my stuff. And I remember just feeling so ashamed in that trip. I didn't say a word. I was like, okay, this is, this is it, guy. Like, you're picking on me at this point. So we get home, and within a month, we're still fighting. We're going through it with my family and, and my sisters, and there's so much turmoil and, like, dissension where, like, we couldn't even sleep. Like, we couldn't even sit at the same dinner table together. Like, we borderline had hatred towards each other, where it was like, I can't even look at you. I can't hear your name. You're just this terrible person and people. Like, we were just fighting so much. Like, I remember the house was so thick with tension that, like, I would literally leave. I'm like, no, I can't be here. I would just go sit in my car and just be like, I would rather be in my car than, like, in this house. At the same time, fighting with the fact of, like, I went from all these opportunities to nothing. Like, God, like, why would you do this to me? I had everything in my hand, and now it's torn from me. As time progressed, like, you know, these slivers of hope would, like, slowly leave. Um, at the time, my pastors, their term was ended at the church, so they actually moved back to New Jersey. And so I lost my pastors. And at the time, my youth pastors got an opportunity to pastor in El Paso, which was like eight hours away. So they move. My worship pastor again moved as well. So I'm like, there's no way. Like, it goes from here to here to back here. Forget it. Like, this is just, I'm done. And within that month, I remember after all this happened, my mother was going to run an errand and I was in the living room. And again, we weren't really talking at the time. And so she was leaving and, and she like grabbed her stomach. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And she's like, ow. I look at her and she began to weep. And this is the first time I've seen her cry in like years, right? I'm just used to her being the strong woman. And she's like weeping and crying and in pain. And I'm like, yo, are you okay? She's like, I need to go to the ER. And mind you, I've never heard her say that. So sure enough, I drive her. And again, that car ride is silent. You can cut the tension with the knife. We take her in, turns out she has a hernia. You know, she works a lot. She has like two and a half jobs borderline. She's doing a lot of physical labor and, and stuff like she's too old to be doing this. So she can't work for a little bit. So both of us were just like, wow, like now my mom like can't work. So a few weeks go by and this pain like worsens. And my mom's like, we have to go back again. So we take her to the doctor again. They run a few tests and, and actually it was a different doctor now. And this is where things began to turn. During that time, we actually got a results back that she was actually diagnosed with uh, stage three ovarian cancer. And I remember being in the room, receiving this news, thinking it was a hernia that she was like hurt, she can't work again, to like, oh my goodness, like I'm gonna lose my mom and we don't have a relationship. Like we've been so business minded since 13 and what is happening? And I remember being in that room looking at my sisters of like, what do we do? Like, we asked him, how bad is it? He goes, well, she has until, it was September at the time. And he goes, she won't make it past November. And I remember just, just the hopelessness that I already had just turned to numb. Um, I remember just really just looking at my sisters like, there's no way this is happening. We were more shocked than anything. And so he was like, we can try the treatment, chemotherapy, and let's just see, and let's just fight it. So we look at my mom, and my mom's typically this, this strong person, and she looks at us and she goes, it's time. And we're like, what do you mean it's time? And something that I didn't know was that she actually had cancer exactly 20 years before. 
She had breast cancer. And during that time, I was one years old. And she had actually prayed and asked God for 20 years to see me grow up. And I remember when she told me this, I like, you know, got a little emotional. I was like, wow, like, so I'm 21 now. So like, I believe that God was so cruel at the time that he would actually answer that prayer. And was like, well, you gave her what she wanted. Now you're going to take her from us. I'm only 21. Like, well, what's going to happen? Like, I just lost all the opportunities. I lost my friends. I lost my pastors. Like, what? Like, now I'm going to lose my mom. And I didn't have a relationship with my dad. So I'm like, what is, this isn't fair. So I remember as treatment began, um, our rooms were catty corner to each other in the house. And I just remember watching her die and deteriorate for months. And that time was actually very hard because, you know, she was a very healthy woman working two jobs. Like she's always been here, super funny, super active. Like she's very bubbly and seeing her not be like that for months, like was devastating. And, you know, she began to lose the weight. I remember, you know, we would go into her room and she'd be laying down and because of the chemotherapy, like pieces of her hair would be like stuck on the pillow. And we would look at it like, this is really like, what do we do? And I remember she couldn't even walk down the hallway to the bathroom, like I'd have to help her. So I'd go and she'd, she'd be like, um, she called me Miho, she'd be like, Miho, can you help me? Like walk to the restroom, I said, yeah. So I'd put her arm over my shoulder and I would slowly inch and inch and inch for her to use the bathroom. My sister would, you know, help her. But I just remember this for months and just being like, wow, like there's no way it can get better than this. And every time we went to chemo was just like watching her like deteriorate. She grew skinny. She was very weak, like she couldn't even eat anything. And we had to like literally break down all of her food. And I just remember watching her like slowly kind of cave in. And I remember during, in the midst of that, like her and I actually had a moment where like we apologized. She's like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, for everything that we've been through. Like, and I understood, you know, I understood. I looked at her, I said, I get it. Like you did what you had to do. And I, I don't, you know, what else was there to do? We had to survive. And so, you know, from there still a lot of it wasn't healed or broken. We were just trying to push through and survive. And, um, you know, as we progress, we try to make the light of things as our family. We try to stay close. We try to do these things together in the midst of this hard time. And I remember my mom in that time began to just get this strong faith. Like it, it had seemed like there was a, a turn in the tide where she just began to just like read scripture every night. And she would pray and people would actually come to visit her and uh, <laughs> they would come visit her because she was sick and she would end up praying for them. And I remember watching her like, this is Superwoman. Like I'm seeing a different side of my mom that I never really would have seen because of so much anger and like stress and, and bitterness. But I began to see her minister while she was in stage three cancer. And we would see like miraculous, like signs and wonders in her living room. It got to the point where we had to make an announcement on Facebook. Like, please, we have to schedule time to see my mom because she's tired, like she's drained after that. And so she's ministering to people, we're watching her do that. And oddly enough, in that time, like God began to give us hope and not more so hope in the sense that she would live, but she began to accept that she was dying. And when she accepted that, we began to follow that lead. And she was like, it's my time, it's my time. And, and at the same time, we believed her, but the Lord was actually doing something else in her. And we just remember just like Holy Spirit beginning to rest in our house, you know, and it was the most beautiful thing, oddly enough, in that tough time.
because I remember a time walking past her door and like feeling like the spirit of death was there, right? Like I would walk by and there was sometimes I'd have to poke her and be like, mom, are you awake, alive? And there was sometimes where like she wouldn't move and it didn't seem like she was breathing. She's like, I'm okay, like I'm alive, I'm fine. And I remember like weeping some nights of like, oh my goodness, like I don't want to lose you. Like, like you've done so much for us, but still fighting that. And um, to feel the, the, the spirit in the house was just a, something that we needed. Um, I just remember that the house for a minute was just so dark and broken and bitter and the spirit of death was there. It was like literally hovering around and as she began to pray, as she began to do this, our hope began to like get better and stronger. And so over time, like she began to start getting better. The, the doctors were like, hey, we don't, we don't know what's happening, but this tumor is shrinking. And we like were blown away. We're like, wow, this is, this is a literal miracle. And again, like I had mentioned before, like I only knew the word of God. So the spiritual stuff I wasn't into, I didn't really believe, right? I just only knew the word. And I was like, there's no way that this stuff can be real because I've never seen it. And we're watching like the tumor shrink. And the doctor was like, hey, I think we can get this to a point where, you know, she goes through remission and, and we can actually control this thing. And literally the entire home was like, oh, this is great, right? So after that, you know, as things began to get better, obviously we still had our things and our, our, our disagreements, but, you know, as things progressed, we, we were just trying to make ends meet, but now like we're all starting to get our two feet slowly. And around that time that she began to be ill around the last year, um, right before the shift that she had, I actually stopped going to church. Um, at the time, I kind of pushed everything aside and said, okay, no more worship, no more this, no more that. And so I actually began to do that. And so that actually began a, a pretty tough journey where I was so out of the things of God that like, well, now that this is happening and we're like towards reaching the end, I can kind of do my own thing. So with all the pent up aggression and like stress and anxiety that I had, like I stopped going to church completely and I actually began to like stop serving the Lord. So from there, I, I didn't realize that I um, had like shelved a lot of those emotions, a lot of the things that I was feeling during my mom's sickness that like it began to just resurface in other ways. So at that point, I actually began to get really, really divert into a side of myself that I've never seen before. I fed the anger, so I was really angry. I was very sharp with my words. Um, I began to just very, be very cruel and very tactical on how I hurt people. I began to just stop serving people. I began to stop caring. I began to stop asking people if they're okay. Like I began to stop doing the things that were Aaron. And I began to just get heavy into drinking and heavy into partying. And I would literally like go to these cities on the weekends and just like party and just be out all night. And at the time, one of my friends, his, his family member also had cancer as well. So he was going through it. So we're like, you know what? This is gonna be an excuse for us. We're young, we're just gonna go out and just like drink our sorrows away. So, I, you know, we would go out to these clubs and all these things and we would like drink so much where we didn't know where we were. Just literally standing still. And I remember we did this like every weekend. I remember like traveling by plane and driving long hours just to, to just go to these, these parties and these clubs and, and, and trying to be something that I wasn't. And in this, I remember like the depression and the anxiety and the fear and the stress began to like pile on even more. And I remember one time um, it hit its peak where, you know, I was at a club and I remember I was like heavily intoxicated. 
and someone at the time actually like slipped something to us to our group and all of us were like feeling so many things and and I remember all of us being like dude like this is not okay like this was like the first time we'd ever been like like prostrated so to speak and at that time I remember hearing things in the club and I remember there I was standing still and I was like looking at my friends and it, it seemed like there was like a bubble around me and I remember hearing a voice of like of like you don't belong here like this is not your scene you should leave and I remember just like thinking this and I was like well I don't belong here what do you mean like this is where I find joy this is where I find fullness this is where I'm like being able to express myself, right? This is where I can just down all my problems away with the drink. And I remember hearing that and I actually, I looked at my friends, I'm like, did you guys hear that? And they're like, no. I'm like, I need your car keys, I'm gonna go to the car. And I got the car keys and I actually went into the car, sat there and actually blacked out for like the next like 12 hours, 13 hours. Like I was in there for the rest of that night and half of the day. So, you know, during that time, like that was like a big realization for me of like, wow, like I, did not live this way. I wasn't raised this way. So like, this isn't me. Like, and it was, it was honestly kind of scary because I was headed down a path where I was being very reckless, like financially. I was spending so much money on alcohol, spending so much money on these clubs and all these like clothes and all these things. And I just remember feeling so lost and hopeless in it. And after that experience, I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to calm down. All right, bro, we just got to face this the way it is. And so around that time I was living on my own. I moved out of my home and um, I got a better job making a significant amount of money. I remember in it, like all of my feelings and emotions began to just pile on. And I remember sitting in this apartment, I didn't have anything, any furniture in there. And I remember just sitting there and just like being depressed. Like again, trying to drink again, trying like I'm fighting this, like leaving that time of partying for like those two, two and a half years. And, um, you know, sure enough, I just kind of had it. I was like, okay, I'm making money. My family's good. Like, I'm okay, I have my own space now. I'm not in church, but still like, this is what I wanted. I have everything I need around me. I have money, I have this, I have that. And so I remember I began to just like stop caring. Um, I would get like a beanbag chair and just sit in my living room for hours and just like depressed. I remember that's when the thoughts of suicide began to come in. And it was so wicked and so scary that like I just could not imagine that anybody can think that, especially me. And I remember thinking like, okay, every time I drove, I had a truck at the time. I remember every time I drove the truck past a certain light, I'm like, I could just like hit a left. And I, what if I go that way? I was like, what if it doesn't kill me? I'm like, no, I gotta think about it better. What if I just drink, you know, this away? What if I call this person I used to go to for, for drugs or for this or for that? Like, what if they have this and I'll just take pills and I'll just end it? And I remember like thinking these things and it began to just like grow. And every night after work, I would just sit in this beanbag chair and just plot the way to kill myself. And with me not being close to my family at the time, I was like, okay, like I have nothing else to live. Like I've worked my way up to the top that I could get to financially and like now what? And so I remember I was planning on actually killing myself in the sense of um, hanging myself in my apartment. And this is where things got really interesting. So I was planning it. I wanted to just end it. And so I told myself, I was like, well, like, okay, I'm gonna go to work. I'm gonna borrow these things at like Home Depot, whatever. And I would, didn't know anything about it. So I'm like, I'm not around people. So I, I just buy a rope or extension. Code. I don't know what I'm, I'm just gonna go get this stuff. So I remember like on my way there, a friend of mine from ministry school calls me. I was like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just shopping. <laughs> and he's like, well, um, 
bro, I really feel like you should come to New York and like minister with me and get plugged into this church. I know you're not serving the Lord right now, but I remember the call over your life and I think you should come. I was like, that's a bad idea, bro. Like, no, hung up on him. And I remember that night, I'm like, okay, I think something's happening. And so, you know, I leave the store and I'm like, okay, God, if this is really you, I'll give you a week. If this is really you, I'll stop planning this. Give me another sign. Within a week, his mom calls me, who's the pastor. Hey, I really feel like it's the will of the Lord. And I was like, okay, cool. Good for you. I don't feel anything. I've been out of church for two and a half years. Like, you don't know what I've just been through. So like, the la I'm the least qualified person to be at this church. She's like, no, it's fine. We'll get you playing with the youth. You'll be on the worship team. Like, we will work, we'll make sure you do this. And so I remember her saying, hey, if this is a big concern for you, we will give you rent free for six months, right? It's a tiny apartment, little, little room, but we'll do that for six months. And I'm like, let's do it. So immediately after that, I put my two weeks in on my job, canceled the lease of my apartment, and I literally packed up and moved to New York. Uh, this is 2016. So during that time is when the Lord began to deal with the deep things in my heart. All the hopeful things that I had in mind, He actually began to just work on my heart. It was four years of no. <laughs> it was four years of no, bro, this isn't for you. You're, you're not who you think you are. It's four years of 5 a.m. prayer. It's five years of, hey, like, sorry, four years of just like, hey, bro, you just have to learn to submit. And I remember this church was like actually very active in the things of the prophetic. And I remember at first I was receiving so many prophetic words. And I, I remember sitting there and, um, you know, things were going well for the first like year, two years. And then there was actually a dispute that happened within me and the individual who, who brought me there. And, you know, we began not to see eye to eye anymore. And, you know, things kind of led to the point where I kind of started, we started doing our own thing. So this friend of mine actually moved to Texas and I was like, okay, now I'm living in New York with no family at this church. And then now it's weird because it's just me. So I'm like, there's no way. And I remember the, uh, the room was so tiny, like it only fit a twin size bed. And like my feet were like in my closet, like the door would open and it would like hit my bed. And I remember this being like, dude, I'm like 25, 24. And there's, uh, there's no way I could be living. I just had a huge apartment in Texas that my closet was bigger than this room. There's no way. I'm like, this is, all right, this is dumb. I'm just gonna move back. So around that time, I actually had met a girl at a church and then we began to date. And then things progressively like, you know, things just were gelling, but not gelling. And then over time, like, you know, we began to just like plan our lives together. And so, you know, you fast forward a couple of years and in 2019, I actually proposed to her. And during this time, I'm not really set financially. You know, we're both pretty young. Uh, she was younger than I, I was at the time. I still, still younger than me. But during that time, I remember thinking like, okay, like I'm going to do this and I'm gonna do it right. Like this is my time. This is my chance to finally have somebody in my corner with me and stuff. And so I began, we began to plan our lives together. At the time I was working in the city for a tech company and there was an opportunity that opened up in Austin. So like, you know what, this is perfect newly engaged. Now I can actually like start a family in Texas, close to my family. Great job. Like I'm going to have everything I need. We can find a home church, get plugged in. And so that was towards the end of 2019. And then the pandemic happened. And around that time, I remember getting sick for about a day. Her family got sick as well. So a lot of, there was a lot of things happening in the mix. And so I remember like 
we were around each other for about a week and a half, two weeks. I was around her family all the time. So, you know, we're all shut in and, and you know, we're around each other and we're like, okay, like what's happening? So during that time, I, I just felt like there was a little bit of separation. Like we just began not to see eye to eye to things and we began to see like and notice things about each other of like, oh my goodness, this is like not good. This is not a healthy place to be in to live long term. And for me, I was, I was like, wow, like I'm pushing down so much like years of pain and stress and anxiety and fear and worthlessness that like this was not a good breeding ground for a marriage. And it was being exposed to me. And I'm like, but we have to do it, right? Like we have to follow through and both of us were kind of fighting through this. And at, at the, the height of the pandemic, um, we just began to argue. And during that time, we're like, okay, you know what? My job, we had shut down, but they were still paying me. The agreement was like, hey, what if you just go home for a little bit until the store opens again? And then, you know, we can just like, we just need some time to chill because we're around a lot. We were around each other a lot. So that's fine. So I literally get in my car and drive straight to Texas. Didn't tell my family. I go home, you know, parents are, my mom's surprised. Like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I'm just want to surprise you guys. I have off now, so I'm just going to be here. So my mom already knew what's up. She sensed that something was off. So within a week or two, um, I actually get a call. You know, at the time was, was my now ex-fiance. She called me and was like, hey, I don't think I want to go through with this. And I remember just thinking like, what? Like, we both put everything we had into it. And I remember just, again, feeling like everything was ripped from me. And again, not being enough, not being worthy, not being this. And I was like, there's no way. I'm like, I left everything. I, okay, this was, this was the last straw. So sure enough, you know, she, she makes a decision. We cancel the plans. And I remember for those like two months was like really embarrassing. Right, having to call family, hey, we're not doing this, we're not doing this. And so as the time progressed, like the embarrassment and the guilt and the shame began to just like creep in. And so I remember after that call, I, I go to my mother who's in the backyard and I go to her, I was like, hey, we're not gonna go through with it. And I remember she looked at me and she was like, she didn't know what to say and I began to weep. And this was the first time she's ever seen me weep. Like literally I would hold my emotions back for years. So she saw me weep and I was on my knees. And I remember her putting her hand on my back and praying for me. And this was the first time I've ever had her pray for me like this, even through the divorce, even through the cancer. But for now, the broken engagement was like, I'm, I'm here for you. She began to pray over me and she didn't say anything about revenge. She didn't say anything about spite. She didn't say anything really. She just prayed the will of God over my life she began to call onto the things that she knew from the age of three. And she said, Lord, just whatever you do, keep him in the will of the Lord. He, and she began to speak over me. You know, he, he's loved, he's, he's clean, like he's holy. She began to just like really pray into me. I'm like, wow, like there was a healing moment that came from the worst season of my life where I felt like I lost everything. And so I remember after that prayer, I again had another dream soon. And I had a picture of me sitting in a prayer room. And I was like, you know, sitting like crisscross style. And I was sitting in the front, it was just me. And I remember seeing the layout. I'm like, I've seen this layout before. This is a weird church, but I, I've seen this layout before. I think I've been there once or twice. But I was like, okay. And I tell my parents like, hey, I feel like I need to go back. And they're like, why? You have nothing there. Literally, you have nothing there. Like the thing you were there for, like doesn't want you. <laughs> and I was like, you're right, but I should do things right. 
And I was like, I'm going to go get my stuff, speak to the pastors, speak to her family, and like do things the right way, and I'll be right back. And after this dream, I remember feeling like I remember seeing a video online, and it was a house of prayer in New Jersey. And I remember seeing this video, they were replaying like services from the past, and I'm like, this is the, this is the place that I dreamed of. I'm like, this is weird, but the last time I had a dream like this, it's where I needed to be. So I remember looking at this video, and seeing this place, I'm like, well, it's, I didn't know at the time, but I was like, it's a house of prayer. I think they're open 24 hours. I think, I think it's like, I, I don't know what it is. I'm just going to go there. I'm going to pray for a couple months and I'm going to come right back to Texas because I know God can speak to me in three months. And so at the time I didn't have a place to live. So when I went to go get my stuff, I remember like sleeping in my car, sleeping in my hotel, like in hotel rooms um, and not having enough for it. I was like breaking even for what I was making. And I remember at the time, my pastors who moved from New York, they were in New Jersey and they said, hey, um, we heard about what happened and we know you have a job here, but you know, we have a studio that's apart from the house, but it's a studio apartment and it's perfect for someone like you. They're like, we're selling the house in three months. So they had no idea that I had told my parents about three months. They go, we're selling the house in three months so you can live there. And I'm like, great. So told my parents, hey, th there's a free spot. Let me at least get acquainted there. I'm gonna go to this house of prayer. I'm going to pray about leaving, about what I should do next, and then I'm out, right? Again, no money. Like, I was just going through it in every way possible, still heartbroken over this decision from the broken engagement, and still having to, like, cancel plans, cancel venues, like, cancel, like, even losing deposits, like, things that we had invested in. I'm like, dude, I'm left with nothing. Literally left with nothing. Like, it was hard for me to even keep $25. Like, there was just no way. So I remember, like, even, like, having a sleeping bag and having to sleep in my car and, like, going to these terrible hotels, but not telling my family because they didn't like, you know, they would just been like, just move back already. But I knew that God had something for me. So, you know, you, you move forward to the pandemic and I move into this house. And I would say this was the moment that I actually truly encountered Jesus. This was the moment that I, that I knew him as a comforter and as a provider. I remember I couldn't sleep for weeks. Like I couldn't even utter my ex's name. I couldn't utter, you know, my father's name. I couldn't like... I remember feeling so beat and broken that I would literally like kick and scream and yell and curse and, and smack the ground and like break things in this room. And like, mind you, like there was nobody around me. So I was like going crazy. And I remember I would time myself of how long I could stay in the room. And I could not stay in the room longer than an hour. I couldn't do it. I would sit outside. I would, I would go on YouTube. I could not be in this room for more than an hour because I was left to deal with the things that, that just happened with the broken engagement and the shame and the bitterness and the anger and all this stress that was pent up. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, I remember a, a scripture that I read in, in Romans and, and it was talking about how Jesus at the right hand making intercession for us. And this was one of my first prayers with the Lord. I remember asking him and saying, you know what, if you're really making intercession for me, but my life has been looking like this for the past like 25, 26 years, what are you saying about me? I remember asking him, what are you saying? What are you interceding about me? Because it doesn't seem to be working. I was like, God, you know what? If you're real, tell me what, tell me what you're interceding for. And when I tell you those next two months, the encounters that I would get, the prophetic dreams that I would get, I remember one time, it was so much glory in the room, I could not lift my head. I remember literally feeling the tangible presence that I felt when I first got saved. And I remember yelling and, and just like, like flowing out scripture that I memorized when I was 19. 
right? Uh, of the scripture of like, man, just like, like the goodness of God, just talking about the truth of him. And, and every time I uttered something, more presence would fall. And I remember just being curled up in a ball of like the weight of glory in this tiny studio room where like literally my motive was just to like be in that presence and to be in that place. And I remember the Lord began to just like remove things from me. And like, there was a lot of, a lot of thoughts that I was facing, but at the end of the day, I do remember like him coming when I needed him. I remember I wouldn't be able to sleep. And I said, Lord, I, I just, the only thing I could say was Jesus. And I would lay in my bed. And I would just say, Jesus, 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 I'm okay. We're okay. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the peace of God <laughs> came every time. And I remember I would tally every time God came. And I remember just seeing like in my journal, like so many tallies of, of the amount of times that Jesus came into my room. And I remember work, we began to go into the city to work again. And I remember saying, Lord, I only have seven minutes. I used to have a whole day to spend with you, but can you do something in seven minutes? And I remember the encounter that I had in seven minutes actually was one that was life-changing. I began to get visions. I began to get like, like pictures of certain places. Um, I actually got two pictures where I was like playing drums in like these bigger rooms. But it wasn't about the platform more so, it was about the, like the, the anointing that was on it. And I remember seeing it, I was like, Lord, there's no way that I'm ever gonna play drums again. I, have, I stopped playing years ago, there's no way. So sure enough, after that encounter, the seven minutes that literally changed my life, I remember seeing like, okay, you show me all these pictures, but how is this gonna come together? I don't have a home church, I'm not plugged anywhere else. So I do know that that house of prayer is around, but like, I guess I'll go there. So I remember going and I would just like hide out in the back in the broadcast room because a friend of mine was a sound engineer there and he had been trying to get me there for years. And I remember sitting in the back and I would go sit during sound check and just watch them worship. And I remember just seeing these people like, just like they had no agenda, they would just like flow. And I'm like, oh, this is weird, this is crazy. And I remember just always weeping in the back. And I just remember getting encountered in this prayer room. And these worshipers were just so raw and so rugged and so interesting. It was just a different sound I wasn't used to. But I was like, wow. And I remember saying in my heart, like, Lord, it'd be great just to be in this type of worship forever. Forget playing. Like, if I can just be there, this would be great. And so I remember one time I was in broadcast and my now home church pastor actually caught wind that I played drums. He was like, hey, would you mind playing on a Sunday afternoon? And I was like, uh, sure. And I didn't have any equipment. I had, well, I had a snare drum that was beat up with no case and like a broken cymbal. And so I remember scouting the guitar centers and like finding used gear and it tallied to about $500. And around that time I said, yeah, I could do it. I just said yes. And so I remember this yes, I actually changed the trajectory of my life where that week a family member of mine called me and was like, hey, we have this gift that we were gonna give you for your wedding, but we heard what happened, but we still, want to sow into you. And it was $500, the exact amount that I needed to start my music ministry. And I remember seeing that and I'm like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. So I went out, bought this used gear, and that first service translated to many other communities that began to say, hey, we want you to play here, we want you to play there. So what started in this, this tiny church at 3 p.m. actually began to expand over the region of New Jersey and New York. And over the last two years, it's been like nonstop. And not in the sense of like wanting to play for people or platform, but it was like the Lord was beginning to answer what he had planted when I was three years old. And I remember one time I got a word from a preacher and he looked at me and he said, he was talking about the heart posture I had for God. 
but he said, he had said something that changed my life. At the beginning of that ministry, he goes, every time you play, you're gonna see reconciliation and the Lord is going to mend your family together. Although like, and in my head, I'm like, well, he doesn't know that they're in Texas. And so the more opportunities I began to get to was off of that yes. And the more I said yes, the more grace would God would give me. And I began to see these intense things. And I learned that prophetically there was a sound coming out of the drums. You know, repeatedly people were like, dude, there's a sound coming out. There's a sound. And I'm like, all right, I don't know what that is. And then I remember during, after that service, there was almost a spiritual awakening, an understanding of the prophetic in worship, where I remember every word that I read in ministry school is now being manifested in the atmosphere that I'm at at the house of prayer. And as I began to worship more, the Lord began to skill the craft. He placed me and opened up opportunities for me to be around, yes, well-known artists, I guess, but at the end of the day, it was ministries who had the heart posture to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. And it was answered prayers from that I had in the worst time of my life. And now I'm living in it where I'm like, wow, like it seems I know what it was like for 27 years to have the word no. And once I truly gave God my yes, that changed my life. It was 27 years of no that led me to the last two and a half years of yes. And in that, I remember God even purifying my heart. And for me, even a miracle is, is even being single in this time where he was like purifying my thoughts and purifying my mind on what a, a healthy man should be and what the word says about marriage and what the word says about these things and cherishing it for what it was. And now in hindsight, I look back at it, I'm like, wow, I was not ready back then. And to see that the grace, the grace that God had over me during that time, during a terrible time actually was like, to see it now and to see who's made me to be is a testament of how good he is. And even, you know, the relationship with my father, like I remember what it was like to force and to be something I wasn't. And it was producing a life that was just so toxic and just not natural. And now I, I just have seen him and his goodness. Like I seen what he could do with it, yes. And he's completely brought peace into every situation in my life. Like everything I touch now, I'm like, wow, God, like, you did this. Like you brought me into a new job, new friendships, new community, new church, new, like a different level of health that I've never been in. And I'm like, Lord, I wouldn't have any of this if not for you. And the Lord would respond and be like, well, if it wasn't for your perseverance to hold on to the word that I planted in you, those two things wouldn't have crossed. And I remember seeing it in the sense of feeling hopelessness for 27 years. And it wasn't easy but it was worth it. I, I just remember looking at it now where I'm like, okay, now, like the worship thing is just a bonus. Like I have joy, the same joy if I'm playing in front of two or 2000, like it doesn't matter. Like I'm in the presence of my father. Like I'm in the presence of a king. I'm in the presence of my comforter because I've experienced him as a comforter. I'm in the presence of my provider because he provided for me from having nothing, literally nothing, sleeping in my car to like now he's progressed the goodness of my life and not, not for the sense of having these things to like show off, but more so like this is how good a father is because I lost touch of what a father was because I was so betrayed. And it was interesting now that, now that I go back home and visit that he's actually reconciled the relationship with my father and my mother and my sisters where the more I played, that prophet was right. He began to reconcile and heal years of damage, years 
of just pain, years of misunderstanding, years of stress, years of division in my family, where now I thought that I had to do something to mend my family together, but really I just had to surrender it to the Lord. And being across the country, away from my family, but being involved in things in the Lord, I'm like, wow, like you did that long distance. Imagine like, like what he could do in, in, in these people's lives. And so I remember now I'm stepping into a place where I talk to people where like, and it's funny because yes, I'll, I'll play quite a bit, but I'll always end up talking to somebody, a young worshiper or just somebody in the congregation who has a similar story, right? Where people are like, wow, like, you know, my wife left me and my two kids. Or, you know, I, I don't know if this music thing's ever going to go. I don't know if this is my call. And, and it's funny because now I look at them, I'm like, wow, like, I'm looking at them through the, through the scope of a father, like Jesus. Of like, the whole time he was looking at me saying, if you could just hold on, if you just have faith, I will make things whole. And not just financially, emotionally, like, in every way, because he's so good. And so now, like, I don't think I've ever been so joyful and happy and full in my life. And it's not because what I have, but it's who I've encountered. And I keep encountering him time and time and time again. Like I could have the worst day ever, but I know where to run to because in the worst season of my life, I knew that he tested to be true. So now I know, I know where my help comes from. And so now that ministry is running full force, it's like, I'm thankful for it. And I look back and I'm like, wow, God, like I have so much joy into everything that I'm doing because I knew where I was living for the past 27 years. And so now, two years later, I'm like, wow, like, God, you're that good. <laughs> like, and now you're opening up different opportunities for me to travel a little bit more, to minister here, to go to these places and, and to even do things off the drum set. He's also brought a community of people to impart into me where now, like, you know, things are flowing prophetically in prayer and intercession. And I'm like, wow, Lord, like, these are, these are the gifts of the Spirit that you promised to your children. These are the things that come with it. And, and it's not for the sake of promotion, but it's for the sake of empowering the, the body of Christ. And I remember like, wow, like I needed to be empowered for years. And so now like I remember feeling years of how do I get there? Will it ever happen? I know now I can speak to people and say it will. You know, just, this, is, this is the way to do it. Like you have to see him as a father. You have to see him as a Lord. You have to see him as all these things. And so out of my experience, I'm like, wow, like he just keeps getting significantly better right? Like, it's amazing. And so, and now, you know, when I go home and visit my family, like we can sit and talk, you know, we've sat and prayed together. We've reconciled, even with my father, you know, my, my dad was a big breadwinner. And so last time I went, I believe it was the end of last year, I actually had to sit down with him for dinner. And he told me about his childhood and told me about the struggles he had and, and the outlets that he didn't have. And he did admit to his issues and, and his problem. And, and even the mistake, but we were able to have a, a heart to heart conversation where like I began to pray over him and I've never seen my dad weep, but what made him weep was he took pride in providing and he felt he betrayed that over us and he admitted it. And when we we're eating dinner, um, I remember paying for dinner and it's the first time I've ever, he always would pay for dinner and I paid for it and it was not expensive, but I paid for the dinner and he began to weep in this restaurant. And I felt the peace of God just like rest on us. And he, he looks at me, he goes, wow, like God really did something. And I was like, no, he's doing something. But I began to speak life into him, which led to our reconciliation. 
which even with my mother, like now, like we're borderline ministry partners, like we're planning different trips together. We're planning ways that we can pray for our family together. Like, like the Lord really mended years of, of pain and division and stress and loss for us to have everything we have now. Aaron, who is Jesus to you? He's my everything. I literally could not picture my life without him. He saw me at my worst, pulled me out, cleaned me up, and fathered me. Like he was my, he's my friend, he was my comforter. And he would always point to the word, which is himself, but it was like, in the worst times of my life, I knew that there was a hand over me. And when it was revealed, it was always him. He was like, I was always involved. I was always next to you. I was, I was the driving push for you to be where you're at today. So Jesus to me is my everything. I couldn't live this life without him. Like I don't see my actual life and spiritual life as separate things, like they're ingrained. Like Jesus to me is, I'm speechless thinking about how good he is, but I couldn't, I literally couldn't imagine a life without him. Everything I have, everything I am is because of him. He gave me hope. He gave me a future. He gave me love. And yes, with friends and community, but with him, like with presence, with Holy Spirit. And so Jesus to me is, is, is life. Aaron, for those people who are in that same space that you were um, in the midst of just, as we can say, let down after let down after let down, maybe they're in the midst of that. What, what is a quick word of it, uh, encouragement that you can give to those people watching right now? Yeah. I would say, hold on and learn to cling to him. If you can learn to cling to him now, I promise you will see his goodness. I think that was a lesson for me. I had to learn to cling to him for him to be my everything. There's hope in Jesus. There's hope. Like he gives life and life in abundance. And I pray that my story shows you the beauty and perseverance, but shows you the beauty of how how consistent God can be over you. That even in the midst of the worst times ever, like he was still present and ready to be called on. But my advice would just be to draw near because he's there. Any last words? I just pray that, that this really encourages you to, to push through, to hold on, that this life isn't a waste, that you do have a purpose and that there are certain things safe for you as a child of God. I would say you may have a lot of talents and a lot of skills, but God wants your heart. And the quicker you surrender it, the more, the more he can do with that. And I just, I just encourage um, a full surrender because he can do a lot with a broken heart.